Welcome to About a Book, the podcast that tells you the real story behind the world's most iconic books. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Jade and today I'll be discussing Picnic at Hanging Rock by Joan Lindsay. And this is a very special, kind of different episode. I feel like I say that at the start of every episode. But this one is a collab. A few weeks ago, I was a guest on the Bookstorian podcast and it was such a great time. I was featured on the season finale of season three. And then me and Tegan decided to share the audio file. So this episode is going to be little snippets from that conversation, as well as maybe some more new information now that I've had more time to reflect on the book. And of course, if you'd like to hear the full conversation, you can head over to her episode, which I will link in the description of my episode. And as always, if you haven't read the book yet, here's the rundown. Picnic at Hanging Rock is an Australian gothic novel. Set in 1900, it is about a group of schoolgirls who attend boarding school who vanish at the mystical Hanging Rock while on a Valentine's Day school trip. The novel follows the ripple effect that this has on the school and wider community. Ooh, dun dun dun. It was a really spooky book. If you love other gothic novels like Frankenstein, Dracula, it's very that same kind of feel. It's a really good book to read this time of year. Even though it is set around Valentine's Day, there's just something about gothic novels that I love to read them when it's cold outside and I'm inside with like a nice cup of tea and a blanket. Uh, So, you know, if you're looking for a good book to read this Christmas, nothing better than something spooky, in my opinion. But the reason me and Tegan chose to talk about this book is because it's kind of like considered Australian folklore. So I asked Tegan how this book is viewed in Australia because it is considered a classic. And she was explaining how some people really do consider it as part of kind of this folklore, this mystery. So here's a little sound bite of her talking about that. I would um I would definitely say Picnic at Hanging Rock by Joan Lindsay is a canonical Australian text. It is one that people know about, but then they don't even necessarily know that it is a book. Like people honestly think it is a myth or a legend. Um, mm. They don't realise that it is um a, a, it is a fictional work, um, and I think that's that spooky, mysterious, like open ended ending is the reason why people think that way about this story. So it's definitely not like a crime novel so if you're not into that don't let that put you off and it's not really a horror either. It's also not focused too much on the supernatural. It's kind of it's very hard to explain. If you enjoyed movies like Crimson Peaks and The Blair Witch Project it's very that same kind of feel and the thing I really loved about this book is that the Australian landscape is really like its own character. It's really personified in this novel. And it was really great to read this novel with an Australian person because here you will hear Tegan talking about her own experience in the Australian bush and how the Australian bush is seen to people there. And it's really fascinating. It was one of my favourite parts of our conversation. So give this a listen. I think um, for me, the book just sort of captures the emotion and the atmosphere of the Australian bush. Like it represents a a really harsh reality that people living still quite remotely today 
let alone um, the early 19th and 20th centuries. Just that remoteness and that sense of eeriness was really well captured. Like I, my partner and I and a, and a bunch of our friends, we really like to go camping. Um, and we've been up to the tip of Australia, which is quite a remote trip to do. Like you go hours without seeing other people. You might stay at a campsite one night, you are the only people around and it would take hours to get to any kind mm. of medical help. Like there's, you don't have phone reception. Like it's, it's a really like sense of loneliness um, yeah. and, a, and just this vastness and feeling like a tiny, 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 tiny person. And it's also easy to see how quickly a landscape could swallow up a person or in this case. Yeah. You can attest to this, but I was um, kind of reading descriptions of the Australian bush and it was saying, because like, you know, the ground is brown, the, you know, the foliage is brown, it can look very like one dimensional. So it's very easy to kind of imagine that you're seeing things or that like your mind's playing tricks on you or kind of like that depth perception is a bit different in the bush. So that really adds to like the the feel of the place. And then to have this like big structure of the rock as well that exists. Um, and when we quite often, so one of the styles of theatre that I'm studying, and as you as you recognise, like that's the first, re- the, the reason why I picked up the book in the first place was because Picnic at Hanging Rock was a playtext that I was interested in studying with my senior drama students. And the the rock itself becomes a character and that is uh, that it that is a feature of theatre, but I also think it's a feature of Australian Gothic literature, of which Picnic at Hanging Rock fits the bill uh, immensely. So, but this we see it in the in the in the play, but we also see it in the book that the rock almost has this like calling quality to people and makes them feel sleepy or disorientated or not themselves. And I think that also feeds into that remoteness of the bush as well, that, yeah, you start hallucinating that, oh, is this rock like actually a person? Like um, I haven't experienced that because most of the time I've had plenty of food and water and (laughs) things like that. But if you were genuinely stuck out in the desert and it was really bloody hot, like you could imagine that, yeah, people could start imagining these, these like figures as um, the rock figures as people or other beings. And what I really love about this book as well is that Joan Lindsay writes the book as if she is retelling true accounts. So the opening of the book says, quote, whether picnic at Hanging Rock is a fact or fiction, my readers must decide for themselves. As the fateful picnic took place in the year 1900 and all the characters who appear in this book are long since dead, it hardly seems important. It's kind of like at the start of horror movies when it says based on true events and you're wondering how true it is. Um, And I love the way she kind of danced around answering if this book was fact or fiction her whole life. She kind of left it open to interpretation. So honestly, queen of marketing. Like she was ahead of all these horror writers now that claim their stuff is real. She was doing this back in the 1960s and people are still talking about her book today. And what also adds to the kind of mystical side of this book is that Jo Lindsay herself was a huge believer in the paranormal, especially the energy of nature. She felt like she could really relate to nature on a spiritual sense and she identified as a spiritualist. And she said throughout her life, clocks would stop in her presence. And even at the premiere of the movie many, many years later, apparently the clocks stopped when they were filming on set and the clock stopped when the movie was 
uh, premiering as well, which is kind of spooky. What else makes this book spooky is that the idea apparently appeared to Joan Lindsay in a dream. She had these very vivid dreams and she dreamed about this rock and these schoolgirls visiting there. And then the actual book only took her four weeks to write. Like, honestly, I'm so jealous. These writers be getting ideas for best-selling books in their dreams and then it's just so quick for them to write. Like, I'm so jealous. I have dreams about nothing. I mean, I've said this a couple times on the podcast, but I'm so jealous of those kind of creatives. (laughs) You have to remember as well that when this book was published in the 60s, people would have been more than willing to believe that it was true because in the 50s and 60s, sightings and reports of UFO and other extraterrestrial and unexplainable phenomenon were at an all-time high. For example, in the United States, they had Project Blue Book and this was a code name for a systematic study of unidentified flying objects by the United States Air Force. And this was a project that ran from 1952 to 1969 and the book was published in 1967. So it was kind of in the middle of this. And during this time, thousands of UFO reports were collected, analysed and filed. And there was two goals of this project. The first was to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security. And the second goal was to scientifically analyse UFO related data. And of course, the conclusion to this project was very unsatisfying. And honestly, I don't really believe it. They said that they couldn't prove any of these things were extraterrestrial vehicles and they didn't think that they were a threat to our world. But, you know, the US government's kind of shady. They definitely hide in stuff. And another layer to this whole mystery of the book is that it has a secret final chapter. There was a final chapter that was published many years after Joan Lindsay passed away and it gives you a little bit more of an explanation as to what happened to the girls. And I really only skimmed it because, to be honest, I don't really want to know. I like the way the book was kind of more open-ended, but the final chapter did kind of lean towards a other dimension, more of a supernatural alien type of thing. But you can find the whole chapter online if you want to. But I personally like the open-endedness. But of course, I had to ask Tegan's opinion on this whole thing and if she thinks the book is true. So this is what she said. People who have visited the rock have acknowledged how easy it would be to get lost within the formation itself. Because when you um, like Google it or have a look at a picture of it, like it's quite a big um, monolithic formation. So it would be very easily to get like lost or trapped in these rocks. So I certainly think it's been a quite creative way of bringing in that Australian landscape and making people believe that it could potentially be real. Um, so even though I don't believe the story is true, I can see why people think it is. Uh, Australian folklore, Australian stories, real stories of people walking off into the bush or wandering off into the bush, traveling out and never being seen again is a very real reality that um, Australians have lived for for thousands of years. So you can see why it could be real. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that because I've seen I've only seen kind of Australian horror films like Wolf Creek where, it's, you know, people camping and then like a guy with a chainsaw comes. But yeah, would you say that people really do get lost out in the wilderness like that? Definitely. Yeah, okay. definitely. Yeah. And of course, it's important to acknowledge that Hanging Rock is a real place in Australia. So here, me and Tegan talk about the real rock and what it means to the Indigenous community there. 
Um, one thing that I do definitely want to make sure we speak about before we end the podcast was uh, about the gap that is quite obvious for me reading it as an Australian woman. And the gap is that the history of our First Nations people has primarily been ignored in the book. And uh, when Jade and I first discussed the book, I did say to her, I'm like, it's not surprising because during the 1960s, people wouldn't have considered what the the Indigenous Australians' perspective would have been on the rock. They wouldn't have considered it to be a place of um, a a sacred place or uh, a place that would have had a, a much deeper connection. So when we sort of strip back this story, because that is what Hanging Rock is known as to majority of Australians today. Um, When we strip all that back, this is actually uh, what uh, Hanging Rock means to Indigenous people. And I think that this is important for me to sort of acknowledge this um, in the next little bit of the podcast. So it is um, a sacred and prehistoric volcanic rock formation. And it's it's known for its unusual shapes and distinctive ridges. And if you're listening, I definitely encourage you to give it a quick little Google and have a look at it for yourself because I'm no Joan Lindsay with describing landscapes. Um, but yes, it is, it's certainly, it's a real place. Um, it's located Northwest of Melbourne and it's, it's over 6 million years old. And um, if, if you really want to go into the geographical stuff, go for it, but that's not really my forte. And essentially when we, so we, we think about it as a, as a sacred place, first and foremost, we think about it as a place that has uh, formed and, and been geographically created. So it's not a man-made place by any means. And um, Hanging Rock itself, and I'm still saying Hanging Rock because I'm not too sure what the uh, Indigenous term for it would be or the Australian Indigenous term would be, but essentially it was a meeting place for four different um, Indigenous tribes and uh, there are still a variety of tribes that are considered custodians of it, so there's three in particular. And um, the site itself was actually used for sacred ceremonies and initiations um, and they they do say that the um, original custodians of the land actually avoided venturing up to the rock summit because they believed it to be inhabited by evil spirits. Um, So that's, I think that's quite interesting when you look at that like historical and cultural um, like lens behind the rock itself. And um, even though I feel like it is largely ignored in Picnic at Hanging Rock, potentially there there are some sort of elements there that infuses it with the idea of evil spirits being there and, and potentially the idea that white people were there having a picnic on, on sacred land. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I was reading some interpretations of it and some people think because of like the themes of order and chaos that you know with the kind of orderly girls and going to like the wild landscape that it could be kind of an anti-colonial type of message but I think that's giving Joan Lindsay too much credit to be honest um and there's also some connections saying that Joan Lindsay felt very connected she had the same connection to the earth as these indigenous people did I think that's going a bit too you know far personally but yeah (laughs) Yeah, and it, she is certainly being like a society woman. It probably would have been, um, it probably would have been quite frowned upon had she have come out and said, "Well, actually, I did this because I, I, I wanted to speak about anti-colonialism." So she could, she could have very well have put the layers in there for the subtle meaning behind it. But yeah, she probably wouldn't have spoken about it. That's for sure. So. 
Attention, attention, I just want to interrupt this episode to tell you about another fellow small podcaster. So I believe the last time I did this, I actually played a trailer for Tegan's podcast. But today I would like to talk about For the Love of History podcast, which is hosted by TK. And I have been a huge fan of this podcast for a long time. TK talks about all of the things in history that you wouldn't really have learned about in school, but that you might have always wondered about. So here is a trailer for her podcast. I actually am a Patreon of her podcast because I know the hard work she puts in and I really appreciate it. But um, check this out. I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is for the love of history. And now we return to the episode. So Tegan also asked me how Hanging Rock relates to Irish folklore and if we have anything similar in Irish folklore because, as you know, I am a huge fan of folklore and mythology. So here is what I had to say about it. So how does the story of Picnic at Hanging Rock, so the idea of like children disappearing into the bush and never being seen again or even women or adults, compare to Irish myths? Uh, well, I talked about this in my um, fairy podcast that we were talking about earlier, but in Ireland we have things called fairy hills or fairy forts, and these are stone structures that date back to, like they predate the pyramids, they're ancient, and we're not really sure what they were used for, maybe as burial tombs, maybe to hide treasures or places of worship, but it's estimated that there is around 40,000 of these fairy hills all around Ireland. And they're known as very sacred places. That's the main reason why there are so many of them still today. Um, It was thought that if you were a farmer and you let your cattle graze in a field or there is a fairy hill, your cattle could get sick or die. Or if you were to knock down a fairy hill and build a house or a business, you get bad luck. Um, And there's also a very well-known myth, I guess, in Ireland of the curse of Tara. And this was back in 2007, so not even that long ago for people to be superstitious. Um, It was when they were building the M3 motorway. They had to cut across and destroy a few fairy hills. And then after this, the Minister of the Environment that was involved, he got held up by an armed gang. Um, One of the construction workers may die because a tree fell on them. One of the other people involved got trapped in a building in a place called Fairy House, which I think is very funny. Well, not funny, but, you know, very mysterious. And then I don't know much about bees, but in the area there was a big um, rise in the amount of beehives, um, which would be unusual for that area. And it's thought that beehives were um, nature's revenge on humanity or something like that. It was like a sign that the earth was angry. So there's a lot of stories in Irish folklore of people tampering with these um, environments and then getting punished for it. And then as far as missing people goes, um, 
there is you talked about it earlier in a book you read but there's changelings so it's the idea of maybe if somebody was you know walking around a fairy hill or if you did something to anger the fairies and then they suddenly started acting different you know maybe they had a, a quicker temper maybe they're much more hungry or maybe they just looked a bit different it was thought that they could be a changeling which is when a human gets replaced by an otherworld being um it sounds kind of you know a bit crazy now that Irish people believed in this but like many people still do today you know I work in the folklore museum and there's many stories leading up to like not even too long ago about people believing in this so that definitely reminded me of Picnic and Hanging Rock. Yeah certainly and especially that that element of questioning whether or not you believe in it and um, whether or not you believe it to be true. I really enjoyed the setting of this book and learning more about Australia through the book so I thought it would be a fun way to end off the episode, but I asked Tegan if she had any other recommendations for books that are set in Australia or by an Australian author. So this is what she said. Thank you so much for bringing this book to like my attention, I guess, because I hadn't heard of it. When I was talking to other people about it that I was reading it, everyone mm. seemed to know what it was, but I personally didn't. And I think this is the first Australian book that I've read as well, so... Yeah, cool. Great introduction. Yeah. yeah. Just for, you know, um, do you have any other recommendations of Australian authors or Australian? Uh, depends in terms of like, there's a few that I absolutely love. So um, Jasper Jones is one that I really love by Craig Sylvie. Uh, that is, it's kind of like an Australian version of To Kill a Mockingbird. Ah, okay. Is what I'm going to suggest. So that's fantastic. And it's uh, very like coming of age, but it also explores like big issues of racism, um, domestic violence, and a a rural Australian town during the 1970s and how they deal with uh, race, how they deal with class. Um, Yeah, it's it's really good. It's also a play. (laughs) Um, And if you like a thriller, if you mm-hmm. like a thriller, I would say The Dry by Jane Harper. So it is also really atmospheric, like Picnic at Hanging Rock, where it's sort of set re- quite remotely. Um, and a detective, Aaron Fork, is um, he's contacted by his childhood friend's father because his childhood friend is said to have committed suicide and killed his family. However, the childhood friend's father, Mr. Hadler, I'll call him because I can't remember his first name, <laughs> he, um, he believes that, like, that's not the case and, and invites Aaron Falk, the detective, to come into town and, and work out whether or not it is the case. So they're probably two, they would definitely be two of my go-tos. So there are some book recommendations for you. I really appreciate that because definitely in the new year, I think I'm going to make more of an effort to expand the types of books I read because I think I tend to read a lot of books written by Irish or English writers. So it was really fun to read something new. But thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. It was a little bit different than what I usually do. I didn't go too in-depth as to what the book is about because I thought the themes and the surrounding kind of history of the book was much more interesting and I really hope that you guys enjoyed hearing Tegan's perspective as well obviously she is from the book story and podcast and I will link her socials below but thank you so much for listening and I hope to see you soon bye guys and happy reading